we're continuing our series, Songs for Our Heart, as we walk through the Psalms. And tonight we find ourselves covering two Psalms, Psalm 28 and 29. Now, a topic that we've talked about before, and I can guarantee you as we go through the Psalms, there's 150 of them, we are going to hit it again. And it's not because of anything else other than this. God knows we need reminders. God knows we don't get everything the first time. And so we're going to continue to talk about it as it pertains to the heart and to the Psalms. We come across that problem of patience, right? But not patience as in, man, I can't wait five seconds for this thing to end so that I can get it. Or man, that microwave takes forever to cook my burrito. No, it's the patience of persevering, that patience in our prayers in the midst of trouble. So tonight we're looking at those two Psalms, and I'm going to give you this caveat. They were not written together, but as I read them both, I couldn't help but not separate them. Their proximity reminds me, and I believe it'll be a reminder for us as well, of the power of praise and worship for our prayers. Praise and worship, they're powerful tools to assist in developing our patience in prayer. So let's read those two Psalms and we'll see what insight David gives for patience that comes from praise and worship. Starting in Psalm 28, verse one, it says, Lord, I call to you my rock. Do not be deaf to me. If you remain silent to me, I will be like those going down to the pit. Listen to the sound of my pleading when I cry to you for help. When I lift my hands toward your when I lift up my hands towards your holy sanctuary, do not drag me away from the wicked, or do not drag me away with the wicked, with the evildoers who speak in friendly ways with their neighbors while malice is in their hearts, but repay them according to what they've done, according to the evil of their deeds. Repay them according to the work of their hands. Give them back what they deserve because they do not consider what the Lord has done or the work of his hands. He will tear them down and not rebuild them. Blessed be the Lord for he's heard the sound of my pleading. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. Therefore my heart celebrates and I give thanks to him with my song. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is a stronghold of salvation for his anointed Save your people, bless your possession, shepherd them and carry them forever. Psalm 29, David writes, he says, Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is above the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord above the vast water. The voice of the Lord in power, the voice of the Lord in splendor. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the woodlands bare in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned king forever. The Lord gives his people strength. 
The Lord blesses his people with peace. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and as we read these words, Father, help speak them directly to our heart. May we hear your voice, Father God. May we seek to to hear your voice in patience, Father God. Speak to us now tonight that we might learn to be patient in prayer through worship of you, Father God. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. What we come across in Psalm 28, it's another one of those psalms of David that's written, it's, it's a lament psalm for half of it. The other half of it is praise and worship. And as we go through it, you're going to see that psalm breaks down into a couple of parts. And then we're going to look at Psalm 29, because I think Psalm 29 is the fuel for Psalm 28. See, in Psalm 28, the first thing we come to, the conflict of silence. And many of us, if we're honest, we've come to the same conflict. We have the same issue. What is the conflict of silence? David says, Lord, I call to you, my rock. Do not be deaf to me. If you remain silent to me, I'll be like those going down to the pit. Listen to the sound of my pleading when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands towards your holy sanctuary. Do not drag me away with the wicked, with the evildoers, who speak in friendly ways with their neighbors while malice is in their hearts. Repay them according to what they've done, according to the evil of their deeds. Repay them according to the work of their hands. Give them back what they deserve. Because they do not consider what the Lord has done or the work of his hands, and he will tear them down and not rebuild them. So Psalm 28 opens up with David calling out for the Lord. David says, here I call to you. And and we've seen many times David calling to the Lord. In your life, that's also going to be true. You don't call to the Lord once and you're done. You will be calling to the Lord always throughout your life. We're not sure exactly what the trouble is that David had here, but we know that David's life was full of trouble. And that's how I know that we're going to call out to the Lord constantly also, because you might look and see David and remember, oh, David was one after God's own heart. Oh, David was the king who was known for the way that he loved the Lord. He's not going to have any problems. But David's life was full of trouble because he was a man after God's own heart. And that fact hasn't changed. And it's still true today. And it's exactly what Jesus and the apostles tell us all throughout the New Testament. In John 16, Jesus said, you will have suffering in this world. Peter puts it this way. He says, dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. So when bad things happen to us and things happen in our life and and, and life just becomes broken, we shouldn't go, wow, this is strange. This is interesting. I don't deserve this. Peter says this should be normal. And so we should be like David calling out to the Lord. David again calls the Lord. We come to something again. It seems though that David is not hearing from the Lord. Have you ever called out to God and he seems silent? 
Here's my question. Because when that happens, and it happens often enough, I get the tendency to stop calling out. How is it that David continues to call out to God in troubled times? Time after time after time, we see in the Psalms, never does David throw up his hands and say, you know what, God, I'm done. He continues to say, God, I trust you. Who else? So how is it that David calls out to God in troubled times when God doesn't always seem to answer? And how can we continue to call out to God when he doesn't answer us? It's one simple thing. David continues to call out to God because God is his rock. He's his rock. He's the one that he trusts in troubled times. We all have that thing that we go to that we trust in our troubled times. And when it's trusted and trustworthy, you continue to go to it. So David goes and he says, don't be deaf to me. In fact, he, God is such his rock. He says, if you remain silent to me, I will be like the one going down to the pit. I will be like one who's dying. I will be like one who's dying without hope. He says, without you, I'm toast, headed straight for judgment. It's true for all of us. Without God, we're toast and we're all headed for judgment. You see, even when doubt hits David, God remains his rock and his fortress. Because without God, he has nothing. Look, here's the truth. There is no other rock. Not even Dwayne Johnson is like our God who is the rock. Don't fall into the trap of giving anyone else that title. I hear this all the time, uh, married couples and boyfriend and girlfriend and even you know moms with their kids. Oh, he's my rock. Or, oh, she's my rock. Don't, don't put that on anybody else. That's a huge burden to carry. The truth of the matter is, we shouldn't try to be anyone else's rock because we're not even rock-ish. But we don't have to be rocks for ourselves or for others because God is and wants to be our rock. Isn't that great? Like God wants to be our rock. He's not, he's not going, hey, um, I don't want to be a rock. Why are you guys coming to me? Y'all bug me. Y'all bothering me. That's not our God. He wants to be our rock. And so the Lord is still David's rock. And so David calls out to him and he says, he says, listen hear and act in accordance to what I'm saying, what you hear. Listen to the sound of my pleading. He says, when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands towards your holy sanctuary, it's been said that God's delays are not God's denials. But like David, perhaps we need to learn this important lesson. We need to learn patience in prayer, perseverance in in prayer, enduring in prayer. Even when we feel like God isn't answering or hearing. Look at the progression of David's patience with God in prayer. See, first he called to God. Then he cried to God for help in desperation. 
And finally, David lifts his hands. And throughout scripture, that picture of lifting up of the hands, lifting up of the hands, that's an expression of praise. Even today, this is done at sporting events, right? You're watching a baseball game and they hit a loud crack and you see that ball flying for that far outfield fence. What are we doing? We're jumping to our feet. Someone takes a little oval brown ball, runs it past an orange marker, and we go crazy. We're going, oh my God. Especially if your team doesn't score touchdowns, you got to celebrate the other victories. See, I'm a Jacksonville Jaguars fan. Yeah, nobody knows who they are because they don't win. (laughs) The only thing they win is the first round draft pick every year. So we celebrate the small stuff. But if we can celebrate that, where points are scored, great play made, boom, hands go up. Why can't we do that for God? Not only that, lifting up our hands in praise to God it's not only an expression of praise, but it's also an expression of surrender. These criminals come out of hiding with their hands up. The cops calling out to them and they're barricaded. And they're, hey, come out with your hands up or I'm going to shoot you, right? You come out with your hands up to say, hey, I surrender. I'm giving myself up. When you're being held at gunpoint and someone's robbing you, you put your hands up, right? You don't make any threatening moves. Why? Because you're surrendering, When we lift our hands, we're saying to the Lord, I surrender even now to you. Lifted hands are praising, surrendering, and praying. Sometimes when overwhelmed by a situation, you want to throw your hands up in exasperation, lift your hands to the Lord instead, your rock. 1 Timothy 2.8, Paul says, Therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger, or argument. And in his prayer, David asked not to be dragged away with the wicked and evildoers, the hypocrites who speak nice to the people. Meanwhile, there's malice in their heart. David asked for the wicked to also be repaid according to their deeds and their works. This is what's called an imprecatory prayer. And sometimes we we would like to pray these prayers that people are repaid according to their deeds and their works. Not necessarily is David praying for their deeds and their works against him, but look at what he says. Because they have no consideration of God or the works he's done. He says, God, they need to know. They need to see. Because they're not acknowledging your works. I mean, we can all relate to the prayer of David as we see evil in our lives. We want to see evil handled. We want to see God act in the silence. Why is it that there are things that can happen? Why is it that we have so many tragedies in our country that happen? It seems like every year, but really the major school shootings happen about every 10 years. But it's, it's a major thing. Why does it seem to continue to happen? It feels like God's silent in those times, right? We're waiting for him to to act in that silence. But you know what? Unlike David, we live on this side of the birth and death and resurrection of Christ. And here's the truth of the matter. There is evil in this world. And it does seem to be proliferating. And it does seem to be out there. And it does seem to be continuing on and on. But here's the thing. 
God already broke the silence when he sent Christ. When he sent his son to come and be born, God broke his silence. He broke his silence in the broken world. He broke his silence among the prophecies to the nation of Israel. He broke his silence. David then continues on with the praise of faith. We see him go from the conflict of silence to the praise of faith. In verse six, David says, blessed be the Lord for he has heard the sound of my pleading. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I'm helped. Therefore my heart celebrates and I give thanks to him with my song. The Lord is the strength of his people. He's a stronghold of salvation for his anointed. Save your people, bless your possession, shepherd them and carry them forever. How did it suddenly move from that conflict of silence to the loud praise of faith? How does David make the leap from that? From the conflict of silence, the tendency to doubt? How can he praise in faith? Can we learn to do that? I believe that we see the answer in verse 7. David says, My heart trusts in him and I am helped. It seems like a simple thing, but it's such a profound truth in there. The heart that trusts in God is helped. Faith in God is what makes the difference. Even when he's silent, we can have faith in God. And it's going to help our heart. Everything that the Bible points to, everything that God says about it, everything in which the way God acts, I don't know if you know this, but God always responds to those who operate in faith. When Abraham, by faith, believed the Lord, it was accounted to him for righteousness. God says that they received the promise by faith. It's always through faith that God chooses to act. That it's faith that moves the hands of God. Not in a forceful way, but because God has ordained it that way. And you want to move God's hands because it's God's hands that hold everything. You cry out to God, but rising, when rising from your knees in prayer, don't neglect to raise your hands and praise God for hearing your prayer. With heaven open now, David's experiencing the security of the Lord and in the Lord. And he declares that the Lord is his strength and his shield. He says, God heard me. God will help me. God has helped me. He says, I trust in him and now I'm praising him because he's worthy to be trusted. You see, the Lord is the strength of the one who trusts in him. A renewed David, now the focus is off of him. Look at what he does. He makes supplication for the entire nation of Israel. Because it's Yahweh who's the real king of his people. He says, save your people. Bless your inheritance. He knows that it's Yahweh who will guide and guard them. 
He says, shepherd them, bear them up. He knows that God's care is for time and eternity. Do we believe that? God's care is for this life and the next life. In Psalm 28, out of conflict and silence comes joy from praise. Out of death comes resurrection. In the darkness of God's silence, David cries to the Lord. God speaks and the joy returns. Understand, it is only when we die to ourselves that we can live to God. God is the only God who takes beauty from ashes. Without the cross, there was no Easter Sunday. That's always been God's way. To trust in this, to persevere and await God's resolution and continue in patience of prayer comes from praise that is developed in worship. And in Psalms 29, we're going to see the worship of David in regards to God. Psalm 29 starts off with the call to worship. David says, ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Now, David spent much time outdoors. He was an outdoorsy guy. He started off his life the youngest of the family, so he was automatically the chosen shepherd. So he was always out with the flocks, always out in the fields. Then as he grew up and he was no longer a shepherd, now he's a warrior. So he's always out in the skirmish of battle. He's out on the field. Then as a man, he's on the run for a few years, give or take a couple of decades. He's no stranger to the outdoors. He's no stranger to nature. We in our nice civilized society, our comfortable bubbles, our air conditioning that takes us away from as much of the climate as possible, need to have that refocus that David had. In nature, David always saw the awesome power and fingerprint of God everywhere he looked. He regularly celebrated the power of almighty creator Yahweh. This psalm is one of those times where he has the high view of God's power. And it's the high view of God's power that fuels the patience that he has in prayer especially in the silence that we saw in the previous psalm. And so David calls heavenly beings to come and worship. He says, ascribe. Ascribe means to give or to, to bring on. And, and it's ascribed to the Lord glory and strength, not because we're the ones that give God his glory and strength. What we're doing is we're recognizing God's glory and strength. He says, ascribe to God the glory due his name and worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Now, as we see here, the example of worship is this. Worship is giving something to God. Not looking to get anything from God. Many times we come to worship with the idea of how we're going to feel, how we're feeling, how this and that. And really what we should do is come to worship going, God, what can I give you? What else can I lay down and sacrifice and give to you and surrender to you? How else can I glorify you, God? 
Did you know that God receives glory when we praise his name, even when we don't feel like it? Even when everything's falling apart around us, we still lift up his name. God receives glory from that. Praise and his majesty and his triumph. It says also ascribe or give to God strength, not literally giving God his strength, but ascribing to him the might and the power that we recognize in him. To worship and give these praises, declare and voice them in God's presence. Sometimes our situation crowds in on us so much that we start to speak doubts to ourselves. And what we need to do is proclaim and praise truths of God. David also gives them instructions for how to worship. The word worship means to bow down and surrender, submit in the face of the beauty of holiness. says, worship the Lord. The word worship is to bow down in the splendor of his holiness. In Revelation 4.8, we see this exact scene in heaven. Each of the four living creatures had six wings with which they covered with eyes all, and covered with eyes around inside. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, 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 Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. They never stop ascribing worship to God. We have to compare what we call worship in our life to what we see as worship in heaven. Are we reflecting the worship of heaven? And it's okay if we're not. It's just the Lord saying we need to grow in that area. In worship, David says, ascribe glory and strength to God. In worship, we open our eyes and we stop seeing our situation and our issues. And what we start to see is our great, almighty, holy, wonderful, powerful, majestic, God almighty. We begin to see who he is and how he is. I couldn't help, as I was reading Psalm 28 and moved over to Psalm 29, I couldn't help but read Psalm 29 and see David move from opening with a call to worship to moving into worship, focusing on which he experienced doubt with. In in Psalm 28, David doubted what? God's voice. In Psalm 29, what is David going to praise? And what is he going to focus on? God's voice. You, you want to turn your prayers of, of giving up and, and saying there's no hope, there's no this, there's no that. God can't even come through. Take what you're believing as a lie and find the truth in God. You see, patience from worship comes when we focus on the truth of God that our heart doubts. If you doubt God's strength, worship his strength. Consider the wonders of his mighty works displaying his awesome power. If your doubt is that God is good or that God is good to you or that God wants good for you, worship his goodness and compare your doubts with his truth. 
David doubted God's voice. And we're going to see in verses 3 through 9 that David focuses specifically on the voice of God. David cries out. He says, the voice of the Lord is over waters. In verse 3 and 4, he says, the voice of the Lord is above the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord above the vast water. The voice of the Lord in power. The voice of the Lord in splendor. David's declaring that the voice of the Lord is above the waters, above the vast waters. What waters, you might ask? What about the waters of the storms in this life? In the storm, we often hear God's voice. And here's why. Because it's in the storm often when we seek God. Sometimes we're not seeking, I shouldn't say sometimes, oftentimes we don't seek God when everything's great we kind of coast through life and we, we have no reason to kind of stop and, and consider where we're at. But when those storms hit, the first thing we do is, God, why? What did I do? What's going on? I don't deserve this. But it's often that through the rain, we seek God. But in the rain, know this, the God of glory thunders David says the voice of the Lord in power and in splendor. We live in El Paso. We're no stranger to thunderstorms. We're soon to enter the monsoon season, although we did have a little bit of hail today. Every monsoon season, we have nights where the crack of thunder seems to go from one horizon to the other, and then the following boom is deafening. And in my house, it rattles the whole house. I can hear the windows shaking. And it's just, you get a sense for that raw, awesome power of the thunderstorm. You can feel it rumbling like, like a bass hit on your heart. God's voice rules even the mighty storm. That's what David is saying. See in Mark 4.35, says, on that day when evening had come, Jesus told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat. And the other boats were with him. And a great storm, great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. And he, Jesus, was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him up and said, teacher, don't you care we're going to die? And he got up and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, silence, be still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. Then he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the reply from the disciples should be ours. They were terrified and they said to one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. In the storms of our life, if we remember the one who rebukes the wind and the storm and the seas. David then says, the voice of the Lord is over nations. As a king a lot of David's problems came from other nations as they wanted to um, 
take his kingdom away. They wanted to challenge his uh, rule and reign and strength of his army and all that. And David, maybe he was hearing silence from God in one of those things. Now he says, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes flames of fire. The Lebanon range was about 10,000 feet above sea level. And the Canaanites that inhabited the land there believed that that was the home of their gods. That area was famous for the cedars, uh, the, the cedar forest, but the thunderous voice of God broke even those trees as a symbol for lofty pride. You see, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12 talks about it. For a day belonging to the Lord of armies is coming against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up. It will be humbled against all the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up against all the oaks of Bashan. The prophet Ezekiel said, think of Assyria, cedar in Lebanon with beautiful branches and shady foliage and of lofty height. Its top was among the clouds. The waters caused it to grow. I don't have those verses up there. It's a long, the waters caused it to grow. The underground springs made it tall, directing their rivers all around the place where the tree was planted and sending their channels to all the trees of the field. Therefore, the cedar became greater in height than all the trees of the field. Its branches multiplied. Its boughs grew long as it spread them out because of the abundant water. All the birds of the sky nested in its branches. All the animals of the field gave birth beneath its boughs. All the nations lived in its shade. It was beautiful in its size and the length of its limbs. For its roots extended to abundant water. The cedar in God's garden could not eclipse it. The pine trees could not compare with its branches, nor could the plane trees match its boughs. No tree in the garden of God could compare with its beauty. I made it beautiful with its many limbs and all the trees of Eden, which were in God's garden, envied it. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. Since it towered high in stature and set its top among the clouds and it grew proud on account of its height, I determined to hand it over to a ruler of nations and he would surely deal with it. I banished it because of its wickedness. Foreigners, ruthless men from nations cut it down, left it lying. Its limbs fell on the mountain and in every valley. Its boughs lay broken in all the earth's ravines. All the people of the earth left its shade and abandoned it. All the birds of the sky nested on its fallen trunk. All the animals of the field were among its boughs. This happened so that no trees planted beside water would become great in height and set their tops among the clouds. And so that no other well-watered trees would reach them in height. For they have all been consigned to death to the underworld among the people who descend to the pit. This is what the Lord God says. I caused grieving on the day the cedar went down to Sheol. I closed off the underground deep because of it. I held back the rivers of the deep because of its abundant water was restrained. I made Lebanon mourn on account of it, and all the trees of the field fainted because of it. I made the nations quake at the sound of its downfall, and I threw it down to Sheol to be with those who descend to the pit. Then all the trees of Eden, the choice and best of Lebanon, all the watered trees were comforted in the underworld. They too descended with it to Sheol, to those slain by the sword. As its allies, they had lived in its shade among the nations. Who then are you like in glory and greatness among Eden's trees? You will also be brought down to the underworld to be with the trees of Eden. 
You will lie among the uncircumcised with those slain by the sword. This is Pharaoh and all his hordes, and this is the declaration of the Lord God. You see, the cedars were always a picture of being haughty and lifted up, high and proud and mighty. And David says, God's voice is mightier. It will humble even the most prideful. It's very difficult to hear God's voice over the pride of both East and West. It's partially true because in his passive wrath, God has given nations over to their sin. Unfortunately, this is true of America. I do believe that God has handed us over for the sins of our country. And because we're in an age of grace, God holds back his hand of judgment. That's what Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay. He's patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. You see, we live in a time period, in, in a prophetical time period known as the age of grace. But know this. Evil's running rampant because God is allowing the time for those who would repent, those who would humble themselves, those who would surrender themselves. But God is still in charge. His voice still is more powerful than the highest, loftiest cedar. And while everything looks like it's falling apart, it's actually falling into place exactly as planned. God is bringing all things to their proper fulfillment. David also says the voice of the Lord is over nature. He says the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the woodlands bare. In his temple all cry glory. David describes the Lord's voice as a voice powerful enough to shake the wilderness. I don't know if you've ever spent time in the wilderness. But there's things in the wilderness like bears, wolves. You know how scared of you they are? Hardly at all. You don't trust me. Next time you see a bear, go like this and go, ah, and see what happens. Please, please don't really do that. Especially any kids listening, don't do that ever. We, we don't. We don't strike fear into the wilderness. God's voice does. It shakes it, causes it to tremble. It, sh- it shakes it. It translates to, to make it dance or writhe in pain as in childbirth. In fact, then David goes on to say, the Lord literally makes the deer give birth or writhe in birthing pain. David is describing God's voice as this. Having the power of an earthquake. And here's how powerful God's voice is. God's voice is powerful. And it brings with it judgment and life. We see God's sovereign power commanding nature and the nations And as we hear his voice and see his glory, we have to bow down in worship and just cry, glory. In response to the majesty and the might on display. And in our worship, we too reflect the worship of heaven. 
And then in the book of Revelation, John hears heaven and earth join in one accord, saying, blessing and honor, glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. David finishes out his psalm of praise with this. God rules. God rules. He says, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned, king forever. The Lord gives his people strength and the Lord blesses his people with peace. David concludes and he goes big, right? As he concludes his worship, he goes big. He says, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood and sits enthroned as king forever. The Lord is not under the flood. He's over it. And it brings with it that idea. God is not in over his head, but he is still and always in control. David then states that God gives his people strength and he blesses his people with peace. And he can do this because his strength and peace is not dependent on outward circumstances. Even in the flood storm, God blesses his people with his peace. This is the encouragement of Paul in Philippians. Paul says, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You see, the Lord is king today. And the Lord will sit as king forever. And he can give strength to his people. And he sees them through the storms of life. And after the thunder and after the lightning and after the wind and rain comes and calms after the storm, the Lord blesses his people with peace. You see it throughout the Bible. What did Noah see after the flood? He saw the rainbow as a sign of God's peace. The apostle John saw peace before the storm. Ezekiel saw the rainbow in the midst of the storm. You see, God sits as king forever over creation and over history. He's king and he's sovereign. Now chaos and pride, they come against and they challenge his rule and his reign. But his voice alone prevails. In fact, it's said that when Christ comes again to vanquish all the nations at the end, he slays them with his word. You see, God's word is established. My brothers and sisters in Christ, don't doubt the voice of God. Shout praises of glory and worship him. And in this worship, your heart will be tied to heaven with patience for the hearer. And the now. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Father, we do thank you again for, for David and, and the inspiration that you gave him, the, the, the way that you just guided him to share his heart, his journey, his path, Father God. Lord, may we understand that the power for our faith comes from our praise of you. The greater 
We see you, God, the greater our faith is in you. The higher our view of you, God, the more we trust you. Even when we can't hear your voice, God, we, we can dispel the doubts that say that you're not listening, that you don't care because we know our God loves us and cares for us and is faithful in love and goodness forever. Father, even in the midst of our storm of life, whatever it is, whatever it is that you're taking us through, that we're going through, that Father, you're the one whose voice speaks over the storm. Even when it comes to the judgment of sin and the penalty of death and judgment, your voice speaks louder because those who would humble themselves at the foot of the cross, you speak forgiveness over them, over the judgment that would call for them, over the sin that would ensnare them, you speak forgiveness over it and clothe us in the righteousness of Christ as we humble ourselves and come and call upon him for salvation. Father, I pray that that we would be reminded of this always, that we would keep this psalm in our heart, Father God, and that we would begin to, to just persevere in our prayer with you, Father God. Lord, may our, as our faith leads us to continue to hang on to our rock, May we see the glory of the power of the almighty living God who sits enthroned now and forever. May we see that power alive in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.